Hello, and welcome to People of the Pod, brought to you by American Jewish Committee. Each week, we take you beyond the headlines to help you understand what they all mean for America, Israel, and the Jewish people. I'm your host, Manya Brashear-Pashman. We here at AJC are gearing up for Global Forum, starting Sunday at Temple Emmanuel in New York City. I hope to see many of you there. Before I break down what's in store for this year's conference, let's take a look back at three highlights from AJC Virtual Global Forum 2021. First up, the launch of the Senate Caucus on Black-Jewish Relations. Last year, three U.S. Senators, Republican Tim Scott of South Carolina and Democrats Cory Booker of New Jersey and Jackie Rosen of Nevada, joined us to announce the launch of this bipartisan caucus. The first of its kind in the Senate, the caucus aims to galvanize elected leaders to combat anti-Semitism and racism. Let's listen to Senator Booker on his connection to Judaism. My journey to Judaism uh, didn't start uh, as a a senator. Uh, um, I've been studying Torah now on and off for more than 20 years. Uh, The Jewish faith, uh, which has been the center in many ways of some of the great Black uh, activists uh, in American history. Um, if you look at most of Martin Luther King's major speeches, including his last, I've been to the mountaintop, they all are coming from the Torah, uh, from the Old Testament. If you go where King was slain, at Lorraine Motel, it's words from the Torah that are written there, uh, the words of Joseph's brothers, behold, here cometh the dreamers, let us slay him and, and see what becomes uh, of, of the dream. And so I, I, I've been deeply influenced by the Jewish faith I've uh, been very blessed uh, by that journey and also know, as Tim does, our civil rights history from Rabbi Yocham Prince from Newark, who spoke right before King on the March on Washington, to Abraham Joshua Heschel, to even perhaps the most profound uh, testimony uh, uh, from Tim and my faith, uh, as well as from the, the Jewish ideals of Hillel, if I'm not for myself, who am I? If I'm only for myself, well, what am I, uh, uh, excuse me, if I'm not for myself, who will be for me? If I'm only for myself, what am I? If not now, when? But a Goodman, Cheney, and Schwarner who, who died together uh, in the civil rights movement, showing that the that kind of commitment and the kind of radical love that is at the core of both faiths. Thank you so much, Senator Booker. That that was a wonderful summation of, of why this makes sense. This caucus makes so much sense um, now. Senator Rosen, I want to go back to you and ask, I mean, this caucus, this caucus has a mission statement, right? And, and, if, and if so, could, could you share some of its key points? Well, I will tell you that, uh, and I'll just say one last thing is that, you know, there, I'm the third Jewish woman to be in the United States Senate. So you think the first two elected uh, black men to the United States Senate, the third Jewish woman, and here we are making history. And, you know, the reason that there are, um, there's a mission statement it's because if you don't know where you're going, how are you going to get there? So our mission statement is really, really important because during the civil rights movement, like we they spoke, we all spoke about black and Jewish Americans came together to fight racism, anti-Semitism, hate, and bigotry. So what is this caucus going to do? We're going to show leadership by getting together with our communities with you all here today, allies and partners around our country, our faith-based leaders and other community leaders to talk about education, to have common conversations, to find out 
what we believe, the same beliefs we have, social action and social justice. My rabbi's father, uh, blessed memory, Sidney Axelrod, marched with Martin Luther King in the 1960s. And his son, who's my rabbi, uh, it brings a rich history to that, to my co home congregation. And so we wanna work to continue. This work is never done. It's gonna be ongoing. This is just the beginning. We're gonna keep doing it. And hopefully those will keep following us because there's always more young people to come up that need to know what's going on, how to band together with allies and partners for social action and social justice. So you all have spoken about the long and storied history. Senator Booker, you talked about Rabbi, you mentioned Rabbi Heschel. Um, I had the opportunity to interview his daughter recently and she talked about how her father really believed that the lives and futures of black Americans and Jewish Americans were very closely intertwined. Can you speak to the degree of Black Jewish cooperation in Congress and, and also what each of you see in your states? What are the relationships you see in South Carolina and New Jersey and Nevada? Well, Tim, why don't you go first? Sure. Uh, in South Carolina, one of the things I'm excited about is that we're one of the leading states on uh, movements that stop the BDS movement. Uh, our state was the first to adopt legislation led by Alan Clemens. But within that state that we have strong, healthy relationships within the African-American uh, and Jewish communities. There was something a while back called Operation Understanding. It was uh, at least a regional program, if not nationwide, and it brought African-Americans and Jewish folks together in the 11th and 12th grade. They spent two years getting to understand and appreciate uh, each other's cultures, each other's faith, and they went to Charleston. Uh, they went to Al Atlanta, to Birmingham, Tuskegee, and D.C as a part of this program. And it, it's, it's those uh, seeds that have been sown throughout South Carolina that makes us such a strong place to see positive, healthy, uh, encouraging relationships. It's one of the reasons why, uh, as a senator, I, I sponsored the Anti-Semitism Act that was to change the definition for anti-Semitism on college campuses is because of the healthy relationship that I've watched grow over as I said, over 40 years. Uh, and that program, Operation Understanding, is kind of the icing on the cake. It's the best way to distill what a healthy relationship looks like within South Carolina. Uh, as I said, it's a program that's been around for a long time and extends beyond the borders of South Carolina. But it's that willingness to see ourselves and our kids participate in a program of, of understanding and appreciating the, the parallel universes that, that exist and how much they cross over, how much you know, cross-pollinization has happened uh, throughout history. Uh, and I, that's probably the best example I can give on why it's so important and what South Carolina is doing about it. My whole life has been uh, uh, this experience over and over again, where this tie between our communities, as James Baldwin wrote uh, uh, about the arrest of one of his friends. If they come for you in the morning, they'll come for us at night. And, and this understanding that we are locked and that hate, um, especially as we see rises in anti-Semitism, the, 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 the hate, uh, anti-Semitism, racism, they're all fruit of the, of the same poisonous tree and we all have an obligation to do something about it. And, and the last thing I'll say, which I'm really proud of, in many ways, Blacks and Jews have been a, a very strong conscious of this entire country, um, helping this nation to live up to its democratic ideals, but by being challenged by those who are often marginalized or excluded. We've tried 
our communities have a history of working to make this country see itself, its truth, its beauty, its wonder. And uh, I, I'm just excited to be in partnership with uh, 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 this coalition you see before you uh, from different political perspectives and different faiths and different races uh, that we can uh, do our best to make America live up to its promise of a multicultural inclusive democracy. And that song sung during the high holiday, may my house be a house of prayer for many nations. That, that is a Jewish ideal, but it's also a very American ideal. Next, we're going to hear a portion of one of the most buzzed about sessions of last year's Global Forum, a conversation with three luminaries on the mainstreaming of anti-Semitism. Brett Stevens, an op-ed columnist for The New York Times, his former Times colleague and fellow columnist Barry Weiss, and Simone Rodin-Benzaken, director of AJC Europe, talked about how the troubling trend is taking hold here in the United States. Here, Brett explains anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism and the reason for their normalization. There has been a process of the renormalization of anti-Semitism dressed up in the guise of anti-Zionism going on for actually for 50 years, ever since, uh, or at least 46 years, ever since the UN declared that Zionism is racism. And I want to underscore this point because there's a kind of uh, factitious distinction between the two. I mean, what is anti-Semitism? It isn't simply racism against Jews, okay? Anti-Semitism is a conspiracy theory which holds that Jews are imposters and swindlers. And in the 19th century, the view was that Jews were imposters as Germans, imposters as French, imposters as Britons, and so on. They didn't really belong. And furthermore, that they were swindlers. They were stealing the wealth of the countries they had joined. What is anti-Zionism? It's the view that Jews are imposters and swindlers. They are imposters in the sense that they are pretending to be Middle Eastern, but actually are from somewhere else, have no connection to the land. And they're swindlers in the sense that they are stealing other, what belongs to other people. And that is the thread, the defamatory thread, which not only connects anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism, but shows that essentially they're identical, that it's the same, it's, it's the old wine in a new bottle. And Forces, even those who are doing so unwittingly, have been normalizing this view for decades. And I think in in the last few years, not only has it been normalized on the fringes of political discourse, it's being normalized in, um, in the center. I'll just say one more thing. I think that the Jewish community has too often let down its guard. We've been so terrified of being called McCarthyites or being seen as people associated with forces on the right, that we have failed to call out in a clear and clarion way this connection, this identicality. And the result is that not only are Israelis at risk from Jerusalem to Tel Aviv to Sterot, they're now at risk in West Hollywood, in London, and on the streets of New York City. Barry then explains how we got here. I think we are now seeing the fruits of what this ideology that cloaks itself in the language of social justice, of intersectionality, of progress, and of civil rights has actually gotten the Jewish community of America. Meaning there was this sense among large segments of the Jewish community that it's more important for us to have a seat 
at a table with people that are hostile to us than not have a seat at that table. And so there was a kind of witting self-erasure, self-abnegation, a sense that if we diminish this part of ourselves or play down our Zionism or play down ideas of Jewish particularism, that somehow we will come to be accepted. And the allyship that we will extend to these communities will therefore be extended to us in kind. Barry then delved into the horrors we saw during the Israel-Gaza conflict of May 2021 and why it was a wake-up call for her and should be for all of us. I think that the past month, I hope, has disabused people of the idea that a strategy that requires Jews to sacrifice their own identity, their own dignity, to whitewash their history, gets us absolutely nowhere. The other thing that I think became extremely clear, right, if you have an ideology that says white people can't be victims, and the second part of that logic is Jews are white people, you will begin to understand why there is no corporate communications from the same people that had so much to say over this summer, even over the past months, as Asians are getting beaten in the streets of places like San Francisco and Oakland and New York. If Jews are white people, you know, it's an imperfect moniker, but when critical race theory or critical social justice or totalitarianism from the left, as I think about it, is put into practice, what it actually means for us is that we do not count. An ideology that is binary and that divides the world into white and black, oppressed and oppressor, you know, collectively guilty or collectively innocent, in which we fall on the wrong side of all of those binaries, we shouldn't be surprised, as so many in our community seem to be, that allyship and concern and empathy for people who are able to find even the tiniest microaggression is not extended to us when caravans are driving through the streets of North London saying, fuck the Jews and rape their daughters, or driving through the streets of West Hollywood saying, who is a Jew and then beating people, right? So I hope that if something good, or if there's a silver lining to come out of these past few weeks, it's that I hope people to some extent have been mugged by the reality of this ideology and understand that you know if we look to Jewish history, protection and safety and security for us never comes when we give in to ideologies that require us to erase ourselves. We're closing out this highlight reel with a view from campus. My colleague, Maggie Wishagrod-Fredman, AJC Director of the Alexander Young Leadership Department, interviewed University of Chicago student Julia Jassy and recent University of Pennsylvania graduate Talia Rosenberg about the challenges and opportunities on campus for pro-Israel students. Here's Talia on what she thinks the biggest issue is in combating anti-Semitism on college campuses. I have seen the biggest challenge to fighting both anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism is just apathy. And I think that at a place like Penn, where there's a lot to focus on, you know, pre-professionalism, your classes, and a million and ten things that people are prioritizing, somehow fighting for your people and fighting for certain political movements just gets pushed to the bottom. And I think that that can be a very big problem when we see, you know, what we saw last month with Israel and Gaza, when students who haven't been trained to advocate are now pushed out into the real world beyond campus and are seeing this anti-Israel and anti-Semitic activism and they don't know how to respond. So I think that while a huge problem on most college campuses is facing this anti-Semitism and this anti-Israel sentiment on campus, and I would never want to go through that, 
a huge problem can also just be this apathy and then not being prepared when the moment comes to truly defend yourself and your people. So I think while educating is really important, I also think it's important to remind people where they come from, what they stand for, and to remember to continue to stand for that out in the real world. You know, Julie, I think you have a unique perspective here as well as one of the co-founders of Jewish on Campus and someone who themselves is quite vocal on social media. What do you have to say for what's going on? And when is or is not the time to respond? Yeah, I think there are two ways of being an activist, whatever activist means. I think one way is what I do. It's, you know, I work for currently four different Jewish organizations. I'm really vocal on social media. I run Jewish on Campus, which is a nonprofit organization dedicated to amplifying the voices of Jewish students, talking about anti-Semitism we're experiencing on campus, has a platform of almost 30,000 people, has over 1,200 story submissions. And that's one way to be a Jewish activist. And if you choose to be an activist in that way, I cannot implore you enough to do it with a community because doing this on your own is nothing that you should ever do. And like Talia had just mentioned, I think it's really important to prioritize mental health because burnout is real and you can't help your community. You can't be well within yourself. And it's really important to prioritize that, something that I definitely reckon with a lot myself and everyone I know in this space reckons with a lot. But the other way to be a Jewish activist and the equally as important way, I would venture to say, to be a Jewish activist, if not more important way, is to be a strong and vocal and proud Jewish person, is to wear your Megan David around campus, to wear your kippah, to go to Shabbat dinners, go to Halal, go to Chabad, to not let the voices of intimidation stop you from doing what you were born to do, which is to be a loud and proud Jew. Because I'm of the belief that you cannot be a Jewish advocate if you don't really love your Judaism as a religion, as a culture, as a history, as a people. So remembering why you're doing this, why you're fighting, because you love where you come from, where your culture is in your heart, that is just as important, if not more important, than any vocal, you know, online activism you can do. That is a beautiful point for us to end on. I want to close out this conversation on a hopeful note and looking towards the opportunities of being a Jewish student. So I have a question for both of you. We have a number of young people watching who are heading to campus or leaders for tomorrow who are high school students who themselves put in the work to build up their Jewish identity, be able to talk about Israel on campus. So as two leaders today, I'm going to ask you to share with us two things. The first is what makes you hopeful about being a Jewish student today? And the second, what is one piece of advice you have for Jewish students who are heading to college this fall? And Julia, why don't we start with you? Yeah, what makes me hopeful is this continued legacy of advocacy from the Jewish student perspective. I think a lot about the movement for Soviet Jewry, where 10,000 people were mobilized in Washington, D.C. by Jewish students advocating for the safety of the Soviet Jewish community. I think that's the legacy that we're trying to uphold, this legacy of not being quiet in the face of injustice, something that I hope to continue to be a part of. And, you know, my advice is it comes from a conversation I had with my rabbi last fall when I was kind of beginning to get involved with advocacy. I went to her, my Hillel rabbi, and I said, you know, I'm really upset. What's happening is hard. And someone made the joke to me recently, actually, it was Jewish Heritage Month just in the past. And a lot of anti-Semitism was coming. And I was like, come on, guys, stop being anti-Semitic on Jewish Heritage Month. And they said, well, this is our heritage. Anti-Semitism is a part of our history. And my rabbi said to me one time, she said, 
our history is not just this continued cycle of persecution. It's this continued cycle of resilience. And that's what we uphold. That's what we are. We're people who have survived so much and is still here and will always still be here no matter what we have to face. And that's the legacy that we're a part of. That's the tradition that we're a part of. And it's something I'm so proud to call my history. That is great. Tali, I'm going to turn to you to close us out. Well, first, I want to say, Julia, everything you say gives me chills. And that is part of what makes me hopeful is other students like you. And I think just the diversity of ways that one can get involved in the Jewish community on campus, whether that's religiously, politically, culturally, and within those, the million and 10 ways that you can get involved. I think that is what makes me more hopeful is that for each new day, there's a new way to be proud of your Judaism and a new way to express that. And in terms of a piece of advice going off of that, I would say, don't be afraid to explore all of your Judaism. I think, you know, some and really all sides of the political spectrum would have you put parts of yourself and your identity in a box and push it to the back of the closet. And I would say that my biggest piece of advice is to explore it all. Explore the particularism of Judaism, explore the universalism of Judaism, explore the secular culture, explore the religious culture, and don't let anyone tell you what parts of your identity are not on trend to be looking at today. So I would say that that's my biggest piece of advice. Expect more inspiring advice this year. Here's what we will explore at AJC Global Forum 2022. Brett Stevens returns for his fifth Global Forum and his third Great Debate, an annual AJC tradition that this year tackles the question of whether the golden age of American Jewry is over. Did it ever exist? Also joining us is British comedian David Badil, U.S. Congressman Ted Deutsch, United Nations ambassadors from Israel, Morocco, Bahrain, and the United Arab Emirates, and young Jewish activists from 23 different countries. If you can't make it to AJC Global Forum 2022, tune in for the next best thing. Sign up at AJC.org webcast to receive email reminders for the four AJC Global Forum live webcasts featuring world leaders, the great debate, AJC CEO David Harris, and more. Tune in next week to People of the Pod for highlights from AJC Global Forum 2022. Thank you for listening. This episode is brought to you by AJC. Our producer is Atara Lakritz. Our sound engineer is TK Broderick. You can subscribe to People of the Pod on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, or learn more at ajc.org slash peopleofthepod. The views and opinions of our guests don't necessarily reflect the positions of AJC. We'd love to hear your views and opinions or your questions. You can reach us at peopleofthepod at ajc.org. If you've enjoyed this episode, please be sure to tell your friends, tag us on social media with hashtag peopleofthepod, and hop on to Apple Podcasts to rate us and write a review to help more listeners find us. Tune in next week for another episode of People of the Pod. 